This is the Humboldt Chronicles. I am the queen of everything. I gotta be high before I can sway. Lighter tea and let it be. If you a viper. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Goat Global Humboldt, Humboldt Urban Market, and Mocha Humboldt. Much appreciation for your support of the Humboldt Chronicles. This is Humboldt Chronicles episode number 52. And Larry, happy 420. Why, thank you, Chuck. Happy 420 yeah. to you as well. Are you, doing, are you doing any celebratory activities? I'm working today. so <laughs> Shouldn't we get this out? We work in Humboldt. You would think. I guess it's uh, an unofficial holiday, so that's why it's not in the employee manual that we get today off, right? Well, we should start lobbying right now, so next year we get 420 off. It'll take us that long to lobby for it, I think, yeah. Speaking of lobbying, uh, today's show is going to deal with that in in, in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in thinking about uh, 420, it made us want to kind of assess where we are in this experiment in California to legalize cannabis and bring it to the legal market. And it dawns on us that there's one issue that kind of has bubbled to the top and it persists. And that is that it's not easy being in the cannabis industry in California, but especially in Humboldt County for a lot of reasons. Right. And that's that's especially true for, for cultivators. I mean, one of yeah. the problems is that uh, the cost of doing business is really, really high mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. And then more recently, uh, there were market conditions that arose that made it all the more difficult, specifically that the wholesale prices plummeted. Yeah. And then you add to that tax burden placed on those in the cannabis industry, and just the high costs of uh, everything. They can't write business expenses off like other industries can. Uh, They don't have some of the advantages of other people in the agriculture industry. So it's not easy, and it's, it's worrisome. The cannabis industry community has come together, though, and they're not giving up on this. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, and that's, that's really the subject of today's show. There was, over the last couple of months, a kind of a a mini victory, which was really mm-hmm. a coming together of the, of the community uh, to not not to solve all the problems. The, the big problems are still there, and there's still a lot of work to be done. But there was something that happened in, you know, as far as this, in, in this context, a relatively short time frame mm-hmm. that provided some temporary relief for Humboldt County farmers and probably uh, saved a couple of them whose backs were really against the wall. And it, it, it was something that wasn't really, typically isn't really easy to do. Right. Yeah, and what you're talking about there is the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors deciding to grant some temporary tax relief to cultivators in the cannabis industry. And not only that, but agreeing to take a look at it down the road and possibly make it permanent. Right, right. Because I think, you know, there's a lot of agreement, particularly on the on the side of those in the industry, that there does need to be, you know, this sort of fresh look at the way the tax policy yeah. is enacted, especially in light of the current market conditions. So what we decided to do for this show uh, was was kind of take a look back at some of the previous shows because there was a through line on this mm-hmm. very issue that started out in January when we talked to Natalie DeLapp of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance. Uh, and in, in the January episode, 
she talked about what the specific problem was. What were the conditions in the market that was causing the, the prices uh, to plummet and what yeah. some possible solutions are. And then in February, we uh, that's when the Board of Supervisors Act. Prior to our February show, the Board of Supervisors granted this temporary right. tax relief. And we talked once again to Nellen DeLapp about the consequences of that and what further measures she'd like to see. And then in March, we wanted to talk to actual farmers. So we spent some time with Laura Lee and Dave Sandomino of Sunrise Mountain Farms in the Willow Creek area to get their perspective on this whole issue and how the temporary tax break might benefit them. Yeah, those three episodes form a, a kind of a nice Humboldt story of yeah. a problem, a community coming together to solve the problem, and then we talk to the actual people who are the beneficiaries of this solution, temporary though it may be, a, mm-hmm. a real solution. So we're going to play some clips uh, from some of our previous episodes, and we're going to start off with uh, some uh, some audio from our January episode in which we talked to Natalie DeLapp of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance. Right now, as we speak in January of 2022, we are hearing that the cannabis industry in Humboldt is in trouble, with words and phrases being tossed about such as crisis, extinction event, alarming, at death's door. And we don't use those words lightly, nor are they our words. We're hearing them being used by those in the business who say that the cannabis industry is at an inflection point and action is needed now. And it's not just Humboldt. The cannabis industry statewide is suffering for a whole host of reasons that have coalesced to drive prices down in the legal marketplace, impacting the entire supply chain, but hitting cultivators especially hard. So in this edition of The Chronicles, we'll be speaking with Natalyn DeLapp, Executive Director of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance. She's on the front lines in an effort to turn things around for her members and, by extension, to prevent our local economy from being hit hard by a downturn in the cannabis industry. To be clear, she is sounding the alarm and saying that without action now, we could lose a sizable number of local cultivators and others in the industry. What follows is a wide-ranging discussion with Natalyn that includes her immediate strategy, details regarding the causes of the current near collapse of the industry, and what's ahead down the line. In the near term, HCGA is hoping to get relief for local cultivators by convincing the County Board of Supervisors to suspend Measure S taxes. And in fact, there was a rally at the courthouse yesterday attended by an estimated 250 concerned community members, including many working in the industry. For more on the rally, check out the Lost Coast Outpost. As a reminder, Measure S is the Commercial Marijuana Cultivation Tax passed by voters in 2016. Suspending the collection of those taxes would be a good start at reducing the financial burden on local cultivators that others in the agricultural industry don't bear. That's where our discussion with Natalie DeLapp begins. Your organization has recently gotten involved with an initiative seeking suspension of Measure S tax collection. What industry developments led to your involvement in this initiative? We work at the behest of our membership and the industry. And in 2021, in the later part of the spring and early summer, we started to hear that the market price for cannabis at the wholesale level was plummeting. And it was creating shockwaves through our industry, um, much like the 2008 housing crisis. And so almost overnight, the price of cannabis plummeted and has not come back up. 
are there factors other than overproduction driving prices down or or what do you attribute all this to? I mean, it's pretty simple supply and demand. And so it is massive overproduction on a state level. The state of California has effectively licensed at least four times more production than the California market can consume. I think it's it's broadly true to say that wholesale prices have been declining, you know, for years since the the 215 era. Is the situation worse now than it was um say a year ago? Yes. There are a lot of regions around the state that have brought a lot of new cultivation online in the Central Valley, Lake County. There's really large indoor cultivation, Santa Barbara, Salinas, um and then let's just kind of call it what it is for a couple years it took those new operators some time to figure out how to grow cannabis how to make sure that it's clean and was testing properly according to california standards and many of those operators have figured it out as well there are um auto flower strains that are early producers so in many other parts of the state have longer growing seasons than we do in the northern part of the state and so you know it's kind of a a perfect storm where all of these new production areas came online um auto flower longer growing seasons and the market was flooded why do we have massive overproduction both proposition 64 as well as the uh prior laws medical marijuana regulation safety act and the medical cannabis regulation safety act both of which were passed by the legislature and signed by governor brown in 2015 and 2016 uh was going to limit cultivation in california to no greater than 1 acre proposition 64 also promised that there would be no cultivation greater than 1 acre until 2023 it which time unlimited licensing would come online. One of the biggest betrayals by the state of California is at the 11th hour in the middle of December of 2017 right before California unveiled its new state recreational licensing regime, the 1 acre cap was surreptitiously removed due to stakeholder involvement. and that is what has now allowed the massive proliferation of large scale cultivation across the state. So it all goes back to what we all learned in our first year in college in economics 101 supply and demand. Yeah. There's there's a lot of supply and you know you would think that there would be plenty of demand but there's a couple of things that are limiting that. For one thing, unlike what you see on the Arcata Plaza mm-hmm. during the summer on Saturdays, marijuana cultivators can't just go and set up a, a farm stand and sell directly to consumers. No. They have to go to distributors, then it goes to a dispensary. They can't sell direct to customers the way others in the agriculture industry can. And also, Prop 64 gave local jurisdictions the ability to opt out completely. and lots have whether it's a, a town or a whole county. And so there are large parts of the state that aren't even participating in this. And so the folks who live in those areas have no access to this product locally in their region at least. They have to go somewhere else. And so that limits the number of markets that cultivators can access. Here again is Natalie Delap. A typical business, if it wants to make more money, one of the things it can do is increase its customer base. Cannabis farmers are prohibited from increasing their customer base. They are not allowed to sell directly to consumers. It has to go through distribution to retail. Um there are 
very, very few cannabis farmers, especially in Humboldt County or anywhere within the Emerald Triangle that own their own retail establishment. So unless a cannabis farm is vertically integrated, meaning they have production, manufacturing, distribution, and retail, they cannot access consumers. And vertical integration would be expensive, right? It's very expensive. Um, There was a provision within Proposition 64 to allow these micro-businesses to develop so they could have cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and retail. I think in Humboldt County, we maybe have four or five of those licenses they're really just not set up well from a licensing and regulatory approach for operators like we have here in Humboldt to um, use that pathway. When you say that the state is over licensing, do you mean that they're granting licenses too liberally or they're not taking into account the, you know, the sort of market constraints before they grant license? What do you mean when you say they're over licensing? So you've probably read the, the, the headlines that Santa Barbara County now has more acres in cultivation than Humboldt County. Yes. Have you heard that? I yeah. have. Mm-hmm. Santa Barbara was not a traditional area for cannabis cultivation. Humboldt County and probably Mendocino could supply the entire state with enough cannabis to be consumed. These are traditional areas, as well as Trinity, Nevada County, um, Sonoma, some areas down in Big Sur. There are areas where cannabis has traditionally been cultivated. The state of California, by authorizing all of this new cultivation, that's where oversupply comes. I mean, the reason Humboldt County is world-renowned and has had a world-renowned reputation is because for decades, Humboldt County and the Emerald Triangle have been supplying not just California, but likely the United States with a lot of really good bud. Now, when the state of California allowed all of these areas new to come online and the state did not limit the size of those new cultivation to one acre, that's why we're seeing 80 acre farms. Um, We're seeing, you know, multiple acre indoor operations that are coming online in the desert areas. If we have 435 acres of cultivation in Humboldt and Santa Barbara now has surpassed us, we're growing too much weed in the state. And the state is allowing that. They're accepting those licensing fees and allowing that new cultivation to come online. Does the fact that so many local jurisdictions around the state have decided to opt out play into this somehow? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Almost 70% of the state of California does not have any access to legal retail. The provisions of Prop 64, as well as the earlier iterations of both MMRSA and MCRSA, provided local control. So in Humboldt County and many in many jurisdictions, local control is very important. So if the state of California said every county and every city across the state has to allow cannabis cultivation or has to allow some form of cannabis retail, those jurisdictions would get upset. They don't like being told from a top down approach what they have to do or can't do. We're seeing this with the pandemic. We don't like it. The public doesn't like it and they revolt. That being said, because of local authorization, many jurisdictions, in fact, 70% of counties in the state do not have any pathway for consumers to buy legal cannabis. And so if you can't legally buy cannabis, then you're buying 
products either from your friends or neighbors or people are buying from illegally run dispensaries where they have illegally sourced product that is not tested and comes from no one knows where. That was Natalie DeLapp of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance and our conversation with her from January. After a quick break, we're going to fast forward to February and get Natalie's reaction to a temporary resolution to the problem. You're listening to the Humboldt Chronicles. Back in a moment. Welcome back, and thanks very much for listening to the Humboldt Chronicles. If you're just joining us, we're revisiting some of our shows from earlier this year, and we're going to pick it up now with some audio from our February edition. This is continuing our discussion with Natalie DeLapp from the Humboldt County Growers Alliance, and uh, this discussion happened shortly after the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors granted temporary tax relief to Humboldt County cultivators. We're speaking with Natalie DeLapp, Executive Director of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance, about recent action taken by the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors to provide short-term relief to cannabis cultivators who are faced with what many describe as an existential crisis. To an outside observer, or at least to this outside observer, the action at the Board of Supervisors happened unusually quickly. However, advocacy at the local level actually began last summer. Here's Natalie DeLapp. Back in August and September, we started communicating with the Board of Supervisors, letting them know that there was a wholesale cannabis price collapse and started doing advocacy with the staff and supervisors to look for stopgap solutions. So we did a lot of advocacy as a community through the fall. And one of those components was discussing Measure S because these taxes are due twice a year. So that work was being done through the fall. And then as we came through harvest of 2021, the prices with cannabis continued to plummet. And so we've been in regular communication with the supervisors. There's been a lot of recognition through the statewide media as to the problems that are happening with licensed cannabis in the state. And the situation's only getting worse. And so in mid-December, we started doing more advocacy and HCGA, we submitted a letter to the supervisors asking that they put forward an agenda item as soon as possible to discuss a Measure S tax relief strategy. Of course, we then went through the winter holiday and starting up in January, the industry had to mobilize because deadlines were pending. The next payment that is due is March 15th. So the supervisors needed to act fast and just the very nature and process of how things are agendized with the supervisors is somewhat slow. It can take two to four weeks before an item is brought forward. We also knew that the discussion was complicated and had a lot of considerations. And so a lot of departments needed to be involved in that kind of discussion and perspective solutions brought forward. So it seems like things moved pretty fast, but I would say as an industry, we have been collectively in communication with the supervisors, with the state, with the governor's office, with Department of Cannabis Control since last year in July when prices started failing. So is it the case that convincing people that there actually is a change circumstance and there actually is a problem here that needs to be addressed 
that people were receptive to that idea or did you have to spend some time convincing people this is real we've got a real problem i think that the supervisors and the most of the department heads have understood i mean when there's a thousand people writing emails and letters and consistently saying the sky is falling we're not crying wolf and when it's happening not just in humboldt but across the entire state of California, whether you're a self-funded cannabis business or a venture capital-backed canna corporation, when the whole industry is decrying the failure of California's legal system, it's probably true. Tell us about the ultimate decision that the Board of Supervisors made. What exactly did they decide? So the supervisors voted to reduce the county cannabis cultivation tax by 85% for the 2022 cultivation year. And they did one other thing, which is they extended the deadline for when late fees would be applied for what's known as the second payment, the October 2021 payment. If farmers are able to pay that payment before September 15th, 2022, they will not incur late fees. That being said, all previously invoiced back taxes that have been billed by the county are still due and payable. What happened, though, is... Right now, at the, like at this very moment, tax collector John Bartholomew has tax bills and invoices that were set to be mailed to farmers that are due on March 15th in one month. What happened is those tax bills will be reduced by 85%. And so a 10,000 square foot cannabis farm that's outdoor would have received a $10,000 bill divided into two payments. So $5,000 would be due this March and $5,000 would be due in October. What has now happened is that $10,000 tax payment has been reduced by 85%. So now the total tax bill is $1,500. So a $750 payment is due by March 15th and an additional 750 is due by October 15th. And the final thing is the supervisors have agreed to come back and revisit the state of the market and reassess what to do with that tax rate in the fall. Are you happy with that decision? It's wonderful. It's it's really wonderful. It is a significant contribution by our county to supporting the industry. It is it is generous. It is going to result in reduced revenues for the county. Um, however, the county has decided to put forward a, a short-term investment strategy in hopes of developing a long-term sustainable tax revenue stream into the future. Is this now done and done, or is there a further action that's needed by the Board of Supervisors to implement this? Uh, there's going to be a, a kind of ministerial resolution that's going to come before the board in a few weeks. So that's going to happen. And then the county will come back to reassess the tax rate in the fall for the 2023 year. Are there other counties that are in the same kinds of discussions? Are there other organizations like yours and other counties that are having these same talks with their boards of supervisors? 
Uh, HCGA, we work with uh, Origins Council yeah. as an umbrella trade association that represents six other legacy producing regions. So Humboldt, Mendocino, Sonoma County, Trinity County, Nevada County, and Big Sur. And all trade associations that we work with in those counties are trying to work with their decision makers to affect tax policy changes. Unfortunately, in Mendocino, the way that their tax initiative was written, it did not give the power to the supervisors to make changes without going back before the voters. So some tax policy initiatives gave power to reduce, amend, or repeal, and some initiatives did not. In Sonoma, they are looking at trying to reduce their tax liability. How soon that's going to take effect, I don't know. That was Natalie DeLapp of the Humble County Growers Alliance. You're listening to the Humble Chronicles, and thank you for that. We are going to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, we're going to talk to a couple of Humble County cultivators who are a couple about the impact the tax relief will have on their lives and their operations, and more generally about Sunrise Mountain Farms. Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles, and thanks for listening. The temporary tax break for cultivators is necessary and welcome, but we think it's important to point out that it's more than just an administrative action. It has immediate impact down on the farm. We hear now from Laura Lee and Dave Sandomino of Sunrise Mountain Farms near Willow Creek. We spoke to them in March. Lorley and Dave chose Humboldt County as a place to live and raise their family because of the intrinsic beauty of Humboldt County and the unique lifestyle it offers, just as so many others have over multiple generations. They didn't come because of the cannabis industry, but rather pursued their passion and came to it in an, if you'll allow me, organic way. We asked them to give us the history of Sunrise Mountain Farms. Sunrise Mountain Farms, um, well, I bought the property 18 years ago and lived in Willow Creek. It's a... Uh, where, like I said, we're a small 10,000-square-foot farm on the mountain. I was a massage therapist, and then I grew a little bit of cannabis on the side. And then, gosh, we've had a brand for about six years now that we've been selling in stores. Um, HPRC was the first store that started carrying our products. We used to make hash and rosin on site. We're not allowed to do that anymore because we need a manufacturing facility to do that, to harvest the trichomes off of our plants. See, Laura Lee and I met roughly a year after she got the property, and then um, she actually hired me to do some trimming work. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how we kind of met. And uh, with my construction and plumbing background, I helped her around the house and the property. And, um, you know, we both kind of, I kind of joked that we had like good Humboldt County romance in the beginning. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and it was just like us connecting with the land, connecting with the plants. And I, I, you know, was plumbing at the time and she was doing her massage therapy and we just were building this property in a way that, you know, it wasn't to just make a big grow on it. It was a property that we saw as a homestead that we love to grow food on, that we love to be part of and connect with and, and um, go hiking on. We're connected to national forest as well. So we can go on some good, decent hikes from the property and, and, you know, uh, sunrise mountain kind of just, evolved to kind of be what it is right now and I think it's just like kind of our love and our passion and our belief in the medicine of the plant and is what helped build what we have right now and coming into Prop 64 was 
one thing that was kind of good was like it really tightened up our business and it allowed for us to make some moves and, and consolidate our square footage to be in an area and kind of build out the vision that we seen years and years ago, like the possibility to be able to grow these plants openly and for, for people to see because it really is such beauty to see these big plants growing outside and in the mountainscape. And uh, that's evolved with our business, the idea of permaculture and building up the soil and growing soil and just connecting with our land. Dave drinks natural farming, which is really uh, bringing cannabis growing to the next level, I feel like. Is the natural farming, is that the same thing that you refer to as regenerative farming? Yes. And what, yes, could, is. what is that? So basically what we're doing on the farm is one aspect is we collect indigenous microorganisms from the forest uh, via, via these little rice collection boxes that we make. And then we're able to mix that with sugar and grow those microbes. And then there's several steps in the process that you can either use them as a water-soluble nutrient, uh, or you can build it into uh, an IMO4, which is kind of growing out that uh, microorganism into kind of a a rye or, or barley. And then you can spread that amongst the farm. And then you're spreading these microbes now, you got to remember, when you walk into a forest, right, you look at the forest, and it's lush, and it's green, and it's beautiful, and you're like, wow, no one's out here, like, putting nutrients on any of this stuff. You know, this is just nature doing what it does. And so the soil has everything that we need in it already. So it's a matter of bringing the microbiology, and that would be our local microbiology, into that soil to kind of help unlock everything that the plant needs for the roots to uptake. And so we're taking these indigenous microorganisms, and then we're also looking at uh, some of the the fauna that grows around and with some stuff that we grow in our gardens, like the comfrey, we use bracken fern, we use horsetail, um, and we make teas out of this stuff, and we can either spray or feed directly into the root zone. And then we even take some of the old flower and pruning leaves that we take off the plant in the previous year, and we make these um, kind of anaerobic with uh, some leaf litter that has, has the forest microbiology and then you mix it in with the, uh, say some, you got some moldy flower or the leaves that we pruned off in the flowering uh, phase of the plant. And then we mix those all together and those microbes help break down all that plant material and unlock all those nutrients that were taken from that soil from the previous year. So we're basically feeding the plant back into itself with the nutrients that it already has stored within its tissues. And then we're also doing stuff like getting potassium from bananas and making calcium and cow mag from oyster shell and vinegar and fish amino acids, which is uh, just a fermentation of fish parts and sugar. And, you know, the fish we can get locally at our docks here. And, and so we're just like looking at ways to close the loop. We really want to break our way off the bottle. We don't want to be having to be um, reliant on having to go spend money at the grocery store when we have everything we need around us and everything that we need is already in the soil. And we also do test our soil and we do add some dry amendments that give some support to the plants because they are heavy feeders. Learning the process of the soil, and that's actually what I'm doing right now, I'm taking a, a course to just further that education with Dr. Elaine Ingham in the Soil Food Web and really looking at just the future of farming in, in all aspects you know, being able to grow without having to use a chemical fertilizer, whether it's cannabis or food or fruit, I mean, that that really should be the way of the future. 
I saw your post earlier on Facebook with the IMO boxes, which was very cool. I'd never heard of that before, and I, I was very interested in that. And one of the things you said was, you know, you put these boxes out, uh, and you never know whether you're going to collect something or not. How do you know that you've collected something that's that that's valuable that you want? When it's kind of like a white fuzz, I mean, everybody's probably seen this mole at some point in their life, whether it's on the bread in the refrigerator or the rice that they left in the refrigerator or something. But when you put it out in the forest and you start seeing these uh, kind of like, you, it looks just kind of not, I want to say like black, you don't want anything black, but maybe kind of like a light grayish and it's kind of got this white hair, it kind of like looks like a kind of like a mold afro in a sense, you know, like this these big puffs and these inter, interlinking little filaments that connect the rice to one another that kind of make it one solid piece opposed to being little granulars, you know? So you're kind of looking for this this bacteria that's growing within the rice, inner between the rice, and kind of like doing these little puffball at the ends. You know, you know, you must have, sometimes you might find something else that's just totally, you know, green and goopy or, you know, left it out too long or, you know, it's like you got to find your, your sweet spot and timing. And, you know, I have, I have some IML boxes out right now. I'm hoping that this rain kind of brings some good moisture in to help everything grow in the dry period in between the storms. So, What types of products come from your farm? Is it mostly flour? Mostly flour, yeah. Mostly flour. We also have uh, hash, like bubble hash, water hash. Uh, we make a tincture. It's a CBD-rich tincture that has a raw cannabinoids in it as well as activated cannabinoids to give a fuller effect. Pre-rolls. Pre-rolls. Yeah, the, the CBD-rich, um, we have, uh, it's a strawberry G. It's a, it's a plant that we grow on the farm where it's a good one-to-one, two-to-one, depending on the year. And but we make pre-rolls of that, tinctures of that, and then we do make bubble hash as well, which is a nice topper to the dry flour. We, we do have dry flour. It's, yeah, mostly flour. And, and how many different cultivars do you have going at any one time, and how frequently do you change cultivars? You know, it's definitely like a tough one. We really had to pare it down. So we're down to about nine cultivars, and... We kind of do a seasonal shift with some of the cultivars just to kind of change up the menu. But then we like to keep a couple just in-house varieties that work well for us, uh, both uh, in the field and in the market. And so but what we like to do is, you know, try and get a trending strain that's not too oversaturated. And then we also do some small seed plant pheno hunts where we can uh, pick out a cultivar out of the different characteristics between the, the sisters and find the one that we think that will work well in the market, and then we bring that into the, into the market the following year. So like this year, we have this Burmese mimosa for the folks that like a good daytime orangey skunk smell with a great flavor profile. Um, we're really excited about bringing that into the field this year something that we found last year. And then uh, for sale right now, we have uh, probably about half of our strains are cultivars that we've pheno-hunted or created on our farm. So about half of our cultivars are our own genetics, or like they said, we pheno-hunt other genetics so that we have unique varieties. And then we'll also have just some trending varieties that we know will probably sell well on the market. The new hot thing. <laughs> 
How do you handle distribution? <laughs> distribution, right. We work with a local company here in Eureka. Distribution has been a challenge for a lot of farmers. I think there's, um, yeah, distribution, it's, uh, there's a lot of farmers that have been burned. We've been burned in the past where we almost went out of business really because of it. Like distributors, you know, we're fronting our product to them because it's a consignment model, which is not really a, you know, great model for business. But, um, and then if that, the distributor, um, has financial difficulties or, you know, they say they can't pay you or they can't sell your product and then they give it back to you and it's like damaged. There's really nothing that the farmer can do. And so I think that there's something that needs to be worked on is there needs to be some kind of accountability. You know, the state of California requires cultivators to go through a distributor, but it's a system that's not really working very well. I'm wondering if if the if the rules were different and you weren't required by law to go through a distributor, would you still kind of have to? Because it would be difficult for each cultivator to kind of create their own distribution system. Yeah, I mean, we don't really want to be in the business of distribution ourselves necessarily because we don't want to be driving down to Los Angeles or these areas. So we would probably use a distributor still. But I think that it should be an optional thing. Um, there are connections that we have um, that, you know, it would be really great if we could make direct sales. If we could make direct sales to retailers, it would also reduce the cost. Distribution is expensive. It's anywhere from 12 to 25% or something like that. So really where the uh, market price is right now, we can't really afford that. And I think that, yeah, it would be really helpful to be able to sell our products directly to customers at farmers markets and events as well and it would be great to be able to have people come to our farm like tourism um, would be helpful as well I think to be able to give farm tours um, right now with the permitting process in Humboldt County um, you know, I think you need a category four road in order to have any kind of tourism to your property. And, um, you know, in most cases, most people don't have Category 4 roads to their properties. And I just think that in Napa and other areas, Sonoma, like, they don't have Category 4 roads going to every winery and the hot springs. And, you know, there's a lot of tourism that happens down there from the Bay Area. You know, we would love to see an increase of tourism and we would love to promote that and invite people from Southern California and the Bay Area and other areas to come and visit a humble cannabis farm, see what it's like, experience it. Our state assembly member, Jim Wood, has introduced a proposal that would allow direct sale at certain events and certain gatherings. I assume you would support that, right? And if that happened, wouldn't that make a difference for Sunrise Mountain Farms? Yes, absolutely. Being able to go and speak directly to the customers is such a strong marketing aspect for us. It's more rewarding, you know. It's like when you're making these connections directly and being able to directly sell your product, the way it's set up now is usually like, you know, you have your booth if you're going to go sell something, but the person wants to come buy something for your booth and it has to walk like, you know, 10 booths on the other side of the of the space to to actually buy the product and like 
in that time that a customer walked from your booth to the cash register, they probably forgot who you even were, you know, <laughs> just because it just makes it because it's not a fluid way for the customer business relation to build. And so being able to go places and have farmers market style to show what we do directly and make these connections with people. And then, you know, for Humboldt County to open up to a tourism aspect to allow for people to come in, uh, to have that experience, to see where their plant is grown or where these plants are grown. I mean, it's really, you know, it moves people when they come and see a Humboldt County farm when it's in its full glory. That was Laura Lee and Dave Sandomino of Sunrise Mountain Farms. They're nice. They seem like such nice folks. They are. They're great examples of folks who are cultivators in the cannabis industry trying to make a living like all the rest of us. And hopefully this temporary tax relief will help them. Yeah. And and, and hopefully, you know, uh, further reforms will be made. There's a lot, lot left to be done. Yeah. And but you're optimistic, right? You know, I, I would somewhat. I would say I, I don't normally use that word. <laughs> myself but i would say that there is some room for optimism there are some positive things happening for example the more act which would legalize cannabis at the federal level Mm -hmm. did pass in the house now it's got a tough road in the senate and i don't think too many people think it's gonna it's gonna pass in the senate you never know it doesn't look good but it did pass in the house which was it in and of itself a historic act absolutely there's also the safe banking act which i think some in Congress think might be a, a compromise that could make it all the way through the Senate and at least allow folks in states where cannabis is legal to actually do business with right. things like credit cards and actually have a bank account. A bank account and, and, and have access to loans and things like that. Yeah. And there is a little bit more optimism uh, from people in the know that that might pass because the Safe Banking Act does have some mm-hmm. Republican uh, co-sponsors. Yeah. And it's just been legalized in New Jersey, is that right? For yes, New Jersey legalized recreational weed, but it doesn't go into effect until four twenty one. So they uh, missed by one day. They couldn't have made it four twenty. They could have, That's, but but you can you just know that there was somebody in the state legislature who wanted to just stick a pin there twist it a little and make it the 21st instead of the 20th make people wait a whole year to celebrate the unofficial holiday what a lost opportunity because yeah make make 420 the anniversary of legal weed in in jersey it's a story that writes itself it reminds me of you know they renamed the the cleveland indians uh, to the cleveland guardians guardians which is a weird name and the market opportunity lost there they could have been the cleveland rocks oh they didn't ask you though did they it was on. It was one of the choices. It was. Yeah, Cleveland Rocks from the Ian, Ian Hunter. That's Mott the Hoople. Uh, what, and that's where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is. Yeah, Cle- the Cleveland Rocks. It, it, it was. Why right would there. they have selected that? Because I mean, well, you know, the, the, there we could get into the whole story about why the Guardians. There was a reason for that locally in Cleveland. But I like your idea there. Yeah. Well, they, they missed out just as New Jersey missed out. Well, when you're the 20. general manager of the Guardians, you can change the name. Get it. Get it done. And uh, win the American League championship. And all right, I'll move on to that. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 Thanks for listening to the Humboldt Chronicles. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. Thanks to our guests, Natalyn DeLapp of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance and Laura Lee and Dave Sandomino of Sunrise Mountain Farms near Willow Creek. Also, thanks to our sponsors. They make it all happen for us. Scope Global Humboldt, 
Humboldt Urban Market, and Mocha Humboldt. Thank you very much. We'll be back with the next edition of the Humboldt Chronicles on the third Wednesday of May. So we'll see you next time on Wednesday, May the 18th at 6 p.m.